Great to have him back. Lots uh, uh, happening. David Birdsell, the Marks Dean of uh, the Austin W. Marks School of Public and uh, International Affairs over at the great uh, Baruch College. Uh, always great to have you, sir. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing fine, thanks. Great to be here this morning, Jay. Hope you're well, too. Indeed, I am. And, uh, you know, I tell you, you look at the cases. What do we got? 600,000 or so fatalities in and around the globe. Uh, cases are edging towards 15 million. Listen, we go over the numbers till the cows come home. But right now, uh, we've got problems here in the United States. We look at Florida. We look at Arizona. We look at Texas. Uh, the Sun Belt all the way in and around to the West Coast. Big time problems here. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that as far as what it means to the election. Uh, give me an assessment as far as how states are handling this pandemic. Well, of course, the answer varies state by state. We've seen a considerable flattening of the curve, which appears to be fairly sturdy in the northeastern United States. Uh, but there are hot spots, Rhode Island, for example, uh, where the virus is surging right now. Um, and, of course, we have a terrible situation in the Sun Belt, uh, all, all the way from the Atlantic to the Pacific Coast, uh, with uh, surging coronavirus in Florida and Arizona and Alabama uh, in, uh in California. Uh, and, and what's very clear is that uh, the, the failure to adopt some of the very simple measures and to fully flatten the curve early and to keep up that vigilance, which doesn't mean that businesses can't reopen, but must do so under fairly strict conditions uh, with public safety as the first priority. That can work. We've seen it happen abroad in Germany and Hong Kong and Korea and in other places. Uh, and what has been signally lacking in the United States is a coordinated national response, because as good as any single state can be, Obviously, we're a free country, and people can move across borders, quarantine orders notwithstanding, uh, and that's where you begin to get the problem. We need a 50-state solution, not a state-by-state -state solution. Texas, 10,000 new cases. I think it was a fifth day in a row there. You look at Miami-Dade, Broward. They're, listen, they're considering shelter in place again. Uh, who knows there? But, you know, I was watching a little bit of the interview that uh, Chris Wallace did on Fox with the president. Wallace kept having to interject as far as the fatalities. President had to turn to an aide to get some paperwork regarding the deaths right now in this country. It's, it's almost, and listen, I said this a long time ago, okay? The president will be graded how he handles the pandemic, nothing else. You know, listen, to me, the economy's coming back. I, I, I give you that. Jobs, retail, all looking good. Uh, it is actually miraculous to see where we are at right now as far as the economy. But I think overall, it's how this president is going to handle this pandemic as we get into the stretch run to, to November. And, David, I've said that for a very long time. I, I think that's absolutely right. And it's becoming increasingly difficult for the president to try to shape reality. Uh, and we saw that yesterday uh, in Chris Wallace's interview and elsewhere throughout the course of the week and beyond. Uh, as more and more Americans come not only to read about coronavirus in the newspaper or hear about it on television, but to know people who have gotten ill and know people who have died, and virtually all of us now fall into that category, alas. Uh, we don't have to go to news sources to know that this is a major problem. And that's going to make it increasingly difficult for the president as the virus continues to build force throughout the nation to make an argument that this is just going to go away uh, and that it isn't serious and that it's like getting the common cold. People know better. 
and they know better from the loved ones than the even the distant friends that they know who have died. That's what it is. Uh, David Brissell with us. And again, embrace it. He's not recognized. It's almost as if Donald Trump is in denial right now as far as the recognition of the facts. But the fact is, you know, as he said to Wallace yesterday, he still thinks this thing is going to go away. He reiterated that numerous times, which that was a head scratcher to me. Not a not a very good moment as far as Trump was concerned. I'll tell you, not a good moment for Joe Biden either, because when you join forces uh, with Bernie Sanders, you know, this 110-page radical far-left policy, you know, it had everything in it, the $2 trillion climate agenda, a job killer right there, uh, if you ask me, eliminating cash bail, dismantling border protection. You know, I go on and on and on here for 15 more minutes, but Biden, you know, maybe taking many steps back you know, if you, if you, if you want to kind of, uh, uh, you know, pretty much hover around the pandemic and everything else, you're going to gain points. When you talk about defunding police and everything else, I think you're going to lose points. But pretty much uh, that is the case, especially with a partnership regarding Bernie Sanders here. David, what do you think? Well, of course, what Joe Biden is trying to do is to reach out to the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. He knows that he needs their energy uh, on uh, November 3rd, and he's trying to make sure that he has it. Uh, he hasn't gone all in by a wide margin on many Bernie Sanders proposals. Uh, but this, uh, the, the idea of a Green New Deal and focusing on the job creation potential of environmental uh, regulation, re-regulation, I should say, because, of course, one of the things happening in the present administration is a very consistent deregulation of what I have to point out are Republican ideas first forwarded in the Nixon administration, uh, which are trying, which, which the current administration is trying to roll back. Um, but there are lots of things in that that are indeed very controversial. And I think that, uh, the, the, the language, particularly around defund the police, uh, can be toxic in certain portions of the country and in large swaths of the electorate, wherever they might be. Um, that needs badly, in my view, a rhetorical rebrand, uh, because, of course, what many people are talking about is not to, cha- to, to shift any money away from law enforcement, but rather to shift money away from police departments to do things that are not law enforcement, uh, such as interventions with the mentally ill, uh, and uh, and domestic disputes that need not necessarily first get a police response. But I think the real question here, Jay, in many respects, is what effect is the campaign having right now as opposed to the coronavirus independent of the campaign? Uh, because if people are focused on what's happening uh, with the pandemic, rather than focusing on what politicians are saying about a broader horizon and a wider basket of issues, that is always going to play to the president's disadvantage in his re-election campaign uh, if he can't acknowledge the simple facts on the ground that people see so clearly themselves in the vast majority of cases, 68% uh, in the United States, who profoundly dis- disapprove of the president's handling of the pandemic uh, and disagree with his characterizations of its uh, possible future curve. The numbers are there. You know, you look at the polls, and I always say they are a snapshot in time as far as where we're at. But we still have three and a half months uh, to go as far as uh, November is concerned. But, you know, the thing I look at Joe Biden on, David, is the blatant flip-flops 
that has occurred here, eliminating the use of cash bail, uh, decriminalizing marijuana use. You know, it's interesting how his campaign had vehemently denied that he supports defunding the police. But he did an interview with an activist, uh, I think it was Eddie Barkin, uh, on digital media on the site. Now there's news last week, he said, absolutely. Uh, he said he can redirect some of the funding. And uh, redirecting some funding away from police uh, is another way, at least to me, of stating the, the obvious, and that is the funding police, or at least partially. But uh, in, in any event, we have seen this as far as speaking out both sides of his mouth. Fracking as well now. He said during debate in April he would ban oil and gas fracking, which we know accounts for millions of jobs that and, and really has catapulted this country to the top world producer. But then his campaign subsequently uh, insisted he won't touch fracking. So which way is it? The funding police, fracking, jobs, no, and where are we at here? I think he can get himself in a ton of trouble no matter what happens if he continues to say something one way and goes the opposite. Well, that's absolutely right. And I think that there are, uh, you know, there, there are two issues here. One is the uh, deliberate movement that he has taken toward the uh, toward the left wing of the party in order to uh, cement their enthusiasms for the election. Uh, and then there is the question of, of, of what he says in interviews. And we know that Joe Biden, this is a political liability that many of us talked about when he was still one of many candidates in the Democratic primary, uh, is apt to say things that come back to haunt him um, when he actually has to come face-to-face with a single opponent. And that's one of the reasons he's dropped out of two prior uh, presidential campaigns. Uh, so, yeah, those are going to be political liabilities for him. I know, again, I think one of the questions, and I completely agree with you, that polling is always a snapshot in time, not a prediction of the future. It's where people are today. Uh, and, in fact, pollsters almost always, when they ask whom you support for president, they say, who would that person be today? Uh, and that's not November 3rd. So it's a long way between now and then, and, and and the biggest variables in my mind have to do not with popular opinion, but with election machinery and how we actually operate on November 3rd and in the days and weeks beforehand when we think about mail-in ballots for a, a an unprecedented proportion uh, of the electorate across most of the 50 states. Um, but absolutely lots can happen, and right now uh, Biden is trying to have it uh, pretty much always uh, with his policy base as he reaches out to Democrats nationwide. You know, it's interesting you bring up the mail-in stuff, and I think about Senator Chuck Schumer, and, you know, he said over the weekend you need about $25 billion or so to infuse into the U.S. Postal Service. And, you know, you think of the mail-ins, and you think of the president who refused uh, yesterday to commit to accepting the results of this election. Uh, with Chris Wallace, pretty much, uh, you know, it's kind of a wait and see. He's not going to say yes. He's not going to say no. Uh, and he made some similar statements, if one remembers, before the 2016 election, uh, that he might not honor the results if he had lost. So very interesting here to see what happens as far as the Postal Service, Monday, a funding to be, you know, in place. You know, listen, you don't have a postal service. You don't have the, what do you do with the mail-ins? Then what are you supposed to think? Another interesting caveat to that interview with Chris Wallace, yes, sir. We are in such 
bad shape with regard to election administration in this country uh, at pretty much every level. Remember that elections get to be managed by state governments and sometimes through local affiliates, uh, not the federal government. And that's by the Constitution uh, that gives the power of determining how elections are managed in the state. Um, so you have the franchise rules that uh, that are uh, federal in nature under the, uh, under the 14th and 15th Amendments. Uh, but states get to figure out how to put it together. And we have not done the things that we need to do at the federal level to provide states with, with assistance in a variety of, uh, of, of areas. We haven't fully funded a way to get machines in place that will record votes, do so electronically, and produce a paper record for accountability. We have not, and the president has consistently refused, to look at foreign hacking attempts on elections, which have been documented in detail. And I'm not talking just about uh, Russian efforts to aid the Trump campaign in 2016. I'm talking about hacking voter rolls. I'm talking about uh, we have not had, at this point in any case, any documented cases of changing vote totals. But we know that foreign governments are trying to probe vulnerabilities in these machines, and there are many vulnerabilities. As you pointed out a moment ago, we have not had investments in the Postal Service that we need to deal with an unprecedented number of mail-in ballots. Uh, there couldn't be more important paper to carry uh, that your letter carrier will pick up and deliver uh, at, at any point in our history. Uh, and we haven't strengthened election boards. Remember, when you, you know, every time we go to vote, we're the vast majority of the people who are there helping us out of the polling places are senior citizens, many of whom are appropriately scared for their lives to come back to work on election day. Um, and so we have cadres, large numbers of newly recruited younger people who don't have those fears but have absolutely no experience, good people that stipulate, uh, but not people with any experience in voting. And we saw during the primary season, and we continue to see during the primary season, uh, huge mistakes that disenfranchise tens of thousands of people per state, uh, either because they get partial ballots or no ballots at all. Uh, we can't tolerate that on November 3rd. The time is almost out to try to help this system become stronger, better, and more accurate between now and Election Day. No question. David Birdsell with us. You know, today a big day because uh, you wonder what's going to happen as far as the House and the Senate, everybody back in play. And, uh, you know, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Minority Leader of the House uh, Kevin McCarthy, they're going to meet with the President. Uh, most likely, I would think the Treasury Secretary and Steve Mnuchin and maybe hammering out some details uh, of another stimulus deal. Uh, I know the president and the Senate, David, disagree on a couple of things. And I'm going to be interested to see how they handle this CDC stuff. You know, how much funding would go toward the U.S. Centers for Disease Control? You know, it seems like the president has lost a lot of faith. Not only in the CDC and, and Bob Redfield, but Anthony Fauci. You know, it just seems to be such a divide there. I mean, how do you possibly divvy up the dollars and support the CDC when they're at the focal point of it all here now? It's going to be very challenging because the CDC uh, and the health agencies more broadly uh, are driven by science, are attentive to facts on the ground, uh, and this is not... Uh, something that the president is willing to entertain, as we were talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, he wants a coronavirus that's going to go away quietly and just disappear, and that isn't going to happen, at least uh, in the near term, at least before we get a vaccine. 
uh, and that is at best months away uh, and probably longer than that. Uh, so it, wh- whether the president is willing to authorize uh, more resources uh, for an agency that he believes is going to produce news that contradicts his campaign themes uh, is very much up in the air. And we have lots of questions about stimulus. Uh, many Republicans are now concerned about the uh, widening deficits in the United States. We had a record uh, monthly deficit just last month. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 these are serious concerns, but obviously there are also very serious concerns uh, about the uh, almost immediate expiration of, un- of enhanced unemployment benefits. Uh, there's a wave of uh, evictions taking place or poised to take place after the expiration of state-level laws. Uh, there's a lot that can be done to maintain the economy uh, when people are not able to work for reasons of health. Um, and we've seen examples. Again, Germany is a shining example of a case where uh, the government largely maintained incomes and has been able to open, open up, reopen more rapidly and more successfully and more healthily than any other nation in the world. Uh, but we aren't willing to take those steps here. And there's a huge clash, not only within the Republican Party, but between Republicans and Democrats on these issues as well. Well, it's another issue. Yeah, you know, how do you replace John Lewis? That's a, it's a big thing down there in Georgia. Democrats, you know, that's going to be a, a tough decision as far as a new candidate in that fifth congressional down there. Uh, we got to watch that one in the Petrie State, there, David. Well, that, that, that's that's absolutely right. And and in in losing Representative Lewis, we lose our uh, last remaining living tether to the leadership of the civil rights era. era. Uh, in the 1960s. Uh, uh, it's a tragic loss, but a noble life, uh, well-lived. Uh, and it will be very interesting to see, of course, who takes his place uh, in Georgia. Uh, but what we can safely say is that that person will not come into Congress with anything remotely resembling the status of one of the great moral leaders uh, of that body over decades now. Question, a couple of minutes remain, David Burt. So let's go locally a little you got phase four in the city uh, today. Uh, you look at New York, uh, you look at the numbers, they're steady. No uh, rising uh, infection rate, death rate, everything kind of being held at bay here. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, some of the stuff regarding that. You look at the governor. He has been out and about. The nursing home deal is another story. I've st- stated that for months. you got investigations ha- going on right now. I'm not happy as far as the DOH leading the way there for obvious reasons. But kind of give me an assessment where we're at here as far as the Empire State uh, and everything else. Uh, certainly, you know, it, people are struggling, we know. But they got to get back into the swing of things. Uh, holding its own here on Long Island in the city, we, we kind of look at things. But then on the other side of the coin, you know, we have the controversies regarding the police uh, situation. We got murders up a zillion percent as far as compared to last year. Uh, that is an absolute mess what's happening right now in the city with de Blasio, a billion off the top as far as the police funding. And you look what's going on. It's it's really a topic of discussion. But, you know, we don't hear any comments from the governor regarding this stuff. Give me an assessment over all this, sir. The governor has been very much focused on the pandemic. Uh, I think myself that that has been appropriate. Uh, it's also been politically astute because it's really uh, a statewide mirror image of what we were talking about with regard to the president a moment ago. 
uh, that the governor wants to be understood as, as the person most responsible for managing a pandemic and keeping New Yorkers alive. The curve has been flattened. Um, that is an apolitical goal that everybody should be able to applaud. There are some uh, annoyance around the margins and some real pain, uh, particularly among small business owners uh, in a variety of industry, food and entertainments uh, being chief among them, uh, as they've lost revenue and are scrambling to try to help adjust local regulations to adapt to the realities of what they need to do to stay afloat. Uh, but the governor doesn't want to wade into controversies that he doesn't need to tackle right now. Uh, and while indeed it is uh, just horrifying how quickly uh, gun violence has surged, uh, there are other categories of crime, particularly property crimes uh, and non-capital offenses, that have not moved in the same direction. Uh, and exactly why these, are, these things are happening right now, uh, whether it's the result of a response to a uh, an emptied city, and remember, these things are happening across the United States, not necessarily uh, the product of anything that's happening locally with regard to regulation, bail reform, or anything else. Uh, but is it policy-driven, is it situationally driven, or is it driven to a certain extent by police slowdowns uh, in enforcement in the wake of uh, uh, the killing of uh, George Floyd in May? Uh, so we have lots of questions about that, but clearly what the governor's strategy is here is to float above it all, focus on the pandemic, uh, and take responsibility for managing what's top of mind for almost everybody right now, which is staying alive uh, in, the, in the era of coronavirus. No question, but uh, certainly, uh, and I'll bring this up, last point, uh, when you look at the landscape right now, David, around the country, especially Portland, Oregon, I mean, my goodness, so what's happening there where the mayor has denounced the federal troops associated with the Department of Homeland Security that were sent in, trying to quell that violence ongoing every night, it seems. You look what happened in Seattle with that chop zone, Janice Dirk and there, Ted Wheeler is the mayor. Uh, of Portland, you, you look at Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, and of course, uh, the uh, the enchilada on top of it all, Mr. De Blasio. I mean, this is unbelievable. The pattern that has permeated this country in the last eight weeks, and that's taking center stage right now. So it's a slippery slope, and especially if you are slicing dollars off the top, be careful here. I mean, look what's happening right now with Joe Biden with that flip flop scenario there. So it's a very tricky situation. you got to be on top of right now. Oh, it's, a, it's a very tricky situation indeed, and we are a long way away from whatever the new normal turns out to be. We're still in, uh, in a point of transition. Uh, but I want to pick up on one thing that uh, uh, I think very important here, and that is with regard to federal enforcement in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, that there was not only uh, an absence of any request locally for federal assistance, there was a local request for not having federal assistance. And what we have are unbadged federal agents uh, active in a locality, rounding up arresting citizens uh, without displaying badge, without even describing to the people arrested why it is they're being arrested, sometimes releasing them, sometimes not, uh, tossing them into unmarked vans and escorting them to uh, uh, detention centers. Uh, this is not the way we do criminal justice, whatever the provocation in the United States. Uh, and this is something that is going to become a huge issue as we move toward the election. And it's one thing that a number of people are very concerned about. If the president can deploy 
unbadged federal agents uh, to any location in the United States, uh, what is he going to do on November 4th if he is not the popular vote winner? Uh, whatever is announced then, remembering, of course, that we're probably going to have to wait one, two, three weeks, uh, maybe four, uh, to count all of those absentee ballots in, 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 in uh, unprecedented numbers. It is a truly terrifying moment. When you, when you look at everything, David, I'll tell you, you're losing control to these anarchists and agitators out there. Uh, that is permeating like a disease. And that's something that, uh, you know, listen, Portland can't handle the situation. Seattle could not handle that. So the chop zone in effect for seven weeks. You know, you look at Chicago as far as leading the way every weekend as far as murders. And, of course, Mr. de Blasio with what happened on that Brooklyn Bridge last week, the ultimate of disgraces, uh, and signing all that stuff, you know, with the Black Lives mural in the Bronx. I mean, come on. It's tough to take right now. It's tough to take. You know, you wonder. It really is something to keep on top of. Uh, sir, it is always a pleasure. You know that. And I look forward to the next time. Great being here. Stay safe, Jake.